on this episode of the Liberty Corner podcast. It's easy, even easier than Thailand. I mean, very convenient. You can open a bank account within one day. It's pretty cheap. I mean, the cost of living is pretty cheap. They have their own currency. They are not part of the European Union. I thought it was a, a Soviet country before I came here, but it's not. It's like high quality. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Israel, but um, we've been doing like digital nomad thing for five years. And we came to Tbilisi about eight months ago. And really like it, so we're staying in Georgia, yeah. You also have your business in Georgia? Yeah, we are. Uh, I mean, most of our clients are Israelis, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But uh, the setup is in Georgia because Georgia is very convenient from uh, the setup perspective and tax perspective. Yes, I looked into it a while ago, um, especially if you're a digital nomad, it's interesting, right? I mean, it depends from the tax perspective. It's very uh, good if you have pretty small revenue. So if mm -hmm. you're doing like e-commerce, it's irrelevant because then your revenue you will, will be high. But when you have a turnover of less than, let's say, um, 250 Euro, uh, USD, 200, mm -hmm. 250,000. Uh, so it's only 1% tax. So yes, this is very good. <laughs> So yeah. if you're doing freelancing, uh, it is relevant. But it's only for for uh, expats or digital nomads, no? No, no, the not necessarily. It's also mm. if you're... Georgian uh, people, they don't even pay taxes, most of them. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, the system here isn't so efficient, like in yeah. Germany or in Israel. So taxes... If you pay 1%, they are happy that you pay the 1%. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's similar here in Montenegro because people just don't pay their taxes. They're like, no. And then uh, if the government gets any tax revenue, they're pretty happy about it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But I, I don't like, I didn't want to keep on doing this thing. So I wanted to yeah. start paying somewhere, you know. I didn't want to pay in Israel, obviously, because they charge a lot. But we lived in Thailand, for example, and we didn't pay. And this is what most experts do in Thailand. They don't pay. But yeah. I don't think it's a long term, it's a good strategy for long term. So this is why I'm happy to pay 1%. And, uh, yeah, I think it's really frustrating um, here in Montenegro as well. You, Because if you're running a business, you want to know, you want to have uh, security or certainty about the future. And yeah. uh, often you don't get that in these countries where the bureaucracy is really, well, lower, but more complicated. For example, I'm not sure if I can extend my uh, my visa next year mm. because it's they have new rules and it's really you you can just go there and try. That's that's all you yeah. can do. You don't really get a perspective if if it works if it will work or not. Exactly. And I think that's really frustrating, um, even if it gives you some opportunities. Yeah, mm. it happens to us in in, in Thailand. We were like, all the time, we were not sure, will they kick us out? Will we be able to organize a new visa? So it mm -hmm. was very, like you said, it's frustrating. And especially when now we have a daughter. So it was also very scary. You know, every time yes. we do a visa run to Vietnam, we come back, we are not sure if they will let us in. So I said, ah, well, I have to have find like a long-term solution. And Georgia, they give you a one-year visa on arrival. So you're completely covered yes. and you can always renew. So this is one of the of the biggest benefits of coming here. Yeah, you, Georgia sounds really interesting to me because uh, also it, it seems so, uh, it's not so complicated. 
so easy. It's for the I, easiest place. Yeah. It is even, even easier than Thailand. I mean, everything is very convenient. You can open a bank account within one day. Um, yeah, everything is mind-blowing how easy it is. Do they have their own currency? Yeah, they have a currency. Um, it's pretty cheap. I mean, the cost of living is pretty cheap. Um, I, I don't know how to compare it mm. to other places, but they have their own currency. They are not part of the European Union. And it has the, the price has gone up in the last two years since mm. most of Russians came in and they mm. uh, inflated the prices. But still, it's, I think it's one of the cheapest places in Europe. I would consider it Europe. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's high quality. It's not shitty. I thought it was a, a Soviet country before I came here. Like, yeah. But it's not. It's like high quality. So it's nice. Yeah. yeah. I think the East, Eastern Europe is really interesting in the next coming years. There's so much happening. And you can really tell the people they have a different mentality uh, compared to the Western world. They're much more... Um, let's say suspicious of the government and they don't like other people telling them how to live their lives and yeah. that's uh, I think a really good thing and it's f interesting to see that in the Eastern Europe because it traditionally historically speaking it's been the opposite in those areas and now you have more of the in the Western countries you have more rules and regulations and people telling you how to live and now yeah, the Eastern uh... It's auto-correcting. I mean, people here had yeah. enough of the bullshit. So now they are, you know, uh, don't like the restriction regulation. It's an interesting perspective. And in the Western Europe, people are like sheep. So <laughs> Yes, I mean, you can get especially services. I think here in Montenegro with products, if, if I go to the supermarket, a lot of the things they are expensive. And the selection is very small compared to Germany, mm -hmm. but services are really affordable here. Mm -hmm. Like you can go to the dentist and you can pay it out of, out of your own pocket because it's so affordable. And yeah, for sure. Germany, you Everything don't even is... get an appointment. <laughs> that's that's, is, weeks, that's one of the most crazy things. Um, like the private sector medical. Mm -hmm. Like we, we yes. gave birth in, in Thailand and we were like, yeah. we were treated like kings, you know, we were the only, only family giving birth in the hospital for the same day. Yes. While if you would, uh, if we would have done it in Israel, we were probably treated like cows, you know, yeah. uh, you know, you, you give birth in the middle of the lobby of the hospital. Nobody gives a fuck about you. And, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's a, yeah, I like this ability to pay for services and for medical services instead of yes. hoping that someone from the from the from the free system will give you money, you will give you like medicine yeah. but basically you pay a ton of taxes for that mm. and uh, i mean that's probably the one of the um, biggest concerns of westerners that go to a well eastern country or any other country that the medical treatment is not as good as in their own country, but really I, today I'm more afraid to go to the United States because for my, my, uh, I have an health insurance for traveling and mm -hmm. they would only cover me for like three weeks in the US yeah. because it's so expensive there. And I heard this about Thailand and Southeast Asia as well, that medical is, well, it's basic, but high quality mm -hmm. and 
in the Western world, I mean in Germany as well, um, we have also like public health care. Yeah. It's not free as a lot of people always think. Exactly. Uh, you pay um, a large sum of your sa exactly. salary into okay. the healthcare and people always say, oh, German ha Germany has free healthcare. It's just not true. Uh, exactly. You pay a lot of money for it and you cannot get an eye doctors extremely hard to get an appointment you have to wait for months yeah and it's it's always it's getting worse if you just yeah. a normal doctor you they don't take new patients um so i, I was in the situation I, i luckily i don't have to go uh, to the doctor often and then when i was working i uh, got a little ill and i needed a just uh, the doctor saying i i can't work Mm -hmm. because I had a cold and you have yeah. to go to a doctor and get like a, 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 some, something yeah. written and <laughs> I I couldn't do it because I was calling doctors and they were yeah have you been to us before like no yeah. you know well we only take uh, patients uh, yeah. that already have been here and it was really frustrating to find a doctor that was taking new patients yeah right in Berlin <laughs> yeah this is The same thing in, in, in Tel Aviv and in Israel. Yeah. And the first time, so when I started doing this digital nomad thing, so I still had the conception that the medical uh, services in other countries suck, like in Israel. Mm. So I had a, like a, something in my ear and I kept on postponing it because I know I knew that if I try to get a doctor now, it will take me three months. Yeah. But eventually it was so painful. I just looked it up in Facebook. In, in this is in Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam. I found a, a, a like a clinic. I sent them a messenger in Facebook. I told them that I have pain yeah. ear, ear uh, like ear uh, pain in my ear. They told me, okay, come within one hour. I came there. I got the best treatment ever, and within two days, no no uh, ear pain. And this yeah. like, blew my mind. The convenience of it. I I went yeah. to the dentist and. I just went there without an appointment and they exactly. just treated me. That's something you cannot do in, in Germany. Tell me a little bit about your business. What do you do? Okay, so actually I, we already discussed this, but uh, our story starts, I think I'm, I will take it back to when I was in the army. I served in, yeah. uh, probably know by the, my accent. And also I shared with you that I'm from Israel. So I served in the special forces. And I think back then I realized that I don't want to have any commanders and I like operating on my own. So this was actually the, the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, the realization that I don't want any commanders <laughs> and no bosses and I want to be my own uh, boss. Then I studied industrial engineering and I didn't attend the classes. I just studied philosophy and business related stuff, which was, wasn't what I studied. And I started working in, in a media buying agency in Tel Aviv. I was spending approximately $1 million on Facebook ads for this agency. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't so exciting because I had no upside or no downside. I just came to work every day. It was kind of mundane. And luckily, I met a friend of mine in a bar in Tel Aviv. And he showed me a screenshot from his Shopify store. And he told me, yeah, I started, I started selling online and I'm already making more profits than in my day job. And yeah. I was like shocked because until then I saw like Google selling courses, stuff like this, but I didn't think it was something that people actually do and make money yeah. from. 
But I said, okay, it's a childhood friend of mine. I must give it a go. The morning after, my wife and I, we built a shitty store in Wicks. <laughs> and in the same evening, we went to dinner with our family. And the same evening, I, I opened like cell phone and I saw we made our first sale. And then I realized, okay, I can make money online. It was like within one day. Say? We sold all bunch of shit. Um, it was like uh, something that you stick on the wall and then you can stick your phone. I was just mm-hmm. copying what other people were doing in the dropshipping mm-hmm. space. I had no knowledge. But this is how I realized, okay, I can make money online. So my wife and I, we kept on developing our store until we found a few products that were selling like in very good scales. Um, we didn't feel confident enough to quit our jobs, but we kept on doing this like at night and during the weekends. Eventually, after two years of doing like the day job and dropshipping, we felt, okay, we're generating consistent profits. Let's just quit our jobs. So we both quit our jobs and we left to Thailand and starting being like digital nomads. Um, this was fun. We did. We sold more than $4 million of mostly shapewear in the UK mm-hmm. market. And during um, the iOS update, which kind of changed the privacy regulations, we encountered a lot of difficulties with regards to maintaining the profitability. So we decided to quit the dropshipping business, although it was very, I mean, we already started branding and we were more sophisticated than we were just when we were just getting started. But we said, okay, the opportunity isn't there anymore. And since then, I've been mainly providing media buying and automation related services uh, to companies also in the e-commerce space also in the b2b space and this is what i'm passionate about mostly like Mm. optimizing processes and automating stuff because i like streamlining things and i like using code in order to be more effective and efficient if you had to give some advice to someone that just started um, with their e-commerce business but also with their digital business what would it be uh, looking forward? You just uh, said that the market has definitely changed, especially I remember when this iOS update came and um, I, I noticed that a lot of more people moved from Facebook ads to YouTube ads because uh, it wasn't just not possible, was just not possible on Facebook anymore to place those ads. Um, so looking in 2024 and in the next coming years, where do you see the opportunities for new businesses? This is a great question. First of all, there are some fundamentals that people often overlook, especially when they're getting started. And this is also mm. a mistake that I did. One of the reasons most of us want to start being like our own boss is the fact that we don't like doing stuff that looks like bureaucracy. Mm. So we often overlook the creation of a business plan. And a lot of people come to me without a business plan. They just want to get started. But the problem is that when you don't have a business plan, you skip a lot of stages that you must do in order to get a better understanding regarding what you're going to sell. And the moment that you're doing a mistake or encounter some challenges, if you don't have a business plan, you Mm. will probably quit or skip. And Mm. you're just going, you're taking like one step forward and two steps backwards because you're not aligned with your initial plan, because you don't have a plan, (laughs) you're just testing. So Mm -hmm. first thing first is creating a business plan, no matter what. You don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but have some sort of a plan. And also envision what you will do in worst case scenario, not only in best case scenario. We all 
it's good to be optimistic. It's important to be optimistic, but we we all will encounter challenges and we need to take that into account. So this is the first advice. I think the second piece of advice is learning how to leverage automations and code. Um, today, with the help of ChatGPT, there is no excuse not to understand how code works and how you can productize yourself and become more effective and more and faster. If you don't use code, everybody else, I mean, most of the big players are going to utilize code in order to progress. And if you don't use code, you will probably stay behind. So I think one must have some basic understanding of Python, CSS, Java, HTML, just to get your way around and not be afraid of code. Because if you're mm -hmm. afraid of automating, you will stay behind. And I think the third piece of advice is building for long-term. And everybody is saying this, <laughs> this is like a cliche, but one of the biggest mistakes that we did that we enjoyed the dropshipping business because it produced a lot of cash, but we never built a long-term asset. We just took the cash and used it, not even reinvested in the business. We kind of saved the cash and poured more money in, in Facebook ads and tried to scale, which mm -hmm. we did. We spent already 5K daily on Facebook ads, which was nice. But since we didn't build like a long-term asset, we were not able to sell um, the store. So I think always planning for long-term and putting your reputation at risk and not doing shady stuff, because if you do shady stuff, you, you won't be able to sell uh, your business later on and you won't be able to bring like strategic partners. So it's fun to generate cash, but if you're not building an asset, I don't think it makes much sense. Hmm. Do you think today it makes more sense uh, to build a brand first and then a business on top or um, is because you started with um, with ads paid mm -hmm. paid, ad, paid advertising i think it's not something everybody would or most people would be able to do because it, it does uh, require some knowledge and some expertise and some resources as well so do you think today it makes more sense to start with an organic marketing strategy, build something up? How would you do it today? This is a great question. Um, we basically have two resources and we need to sacrifice one of them. It's either time or capital. Mm -hmm. um, if you have skill, you can decrease the time because you accelerate time by using code. So doing stuff faster. But in general, you either go the organic route and put time and effort into it, or you buy time by paying. So it really depends on the unique situation of, of the person who is building the business. I would try to combine the approaches. If you have more capital, yeah, sure, pour a bit of capital on Facebook ads, on TikTok ads, on Google ads to get data faster. If you don't have mm -hmm. the capital, you need to go the organic route, um, which is very difficult and can be very frustrating unless you have knowledge and skills. And if you mm -hmm. don't have knowledge and skills, I often suggest people, okay, just go and work somewhere to gain the knowledge and skill because gaining the knowledge and skill on your own without resources to play around and test is also pretty difficult. So there is no easy route, but this is how business is. Um, and I think it's important to emphasize that the barrier to entry today is very low. Everybody can create a Shopify mm -hmm. store Everybody can create a business. Technology is pretty much solved. You know, 
it's very easy to get like the first cornerstones of your business. But this is why the barrier to success is so high because there are a lot of competitors and you must stand out from the competitors by building something which is better or unique. So this is why I'm saying you must have all more time and ambition or more skills or more money. Otherwise, how are you planning to win if everybody else has more time, more money and more skills? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I especially liked your first point of advice uh, of building or having a, a, a business plan because uh, I think that's so important. Like you said, as soon as you run into problems, which you will definitely at some point, um, and you don't have a plan, um, you don't know what to do, and then you either quit or you skip. Um, can you give us maybe a rough uh, framework or a rough outline of what kind of, what, does, what would a business plan or a plan in general look like? Yes, yes. So basically a business plan, we can consider this as a simulation of our next three months or next six months. So mm -hmm. we think about what we are going to do with regards to how are we going to fulfill the orders or the business. I mean, what are we going to deliver? We think about how we're going to acquire customers. What traffic centers are we going to use? We think about the financials. Where are we going to get capital? How are we going to handle the cash flow? Um, we think about the unit economics. We sell a product in X. Um, how much profit are we going to keep? What are we going to do with the profits? So basically, it's as if we're doing a simulation of all aspects of the business for the next three or six or one year. It depends on the time frame that you're able to imagine. And we break it down to different scenarios. Best case, worst case, average case. And when we do the simulation, we also aggregate data from competitors. We can speak with mentors or consultants in order to get the data because we don't want to start playing and building the business before we have all the data in the equation because it doesn't make sense. So it's best to, to do like a simulation. With regards to the actual framework or templates, I think the best advice would be like, just Google it or go to ChatGPT and tell it, I need a template for a business plan. I'm going to sell video services. I'm going to sell, to sell dropshipping. What, Elements do you suggest I have in my business plan? And ChatGPT mm -hmm. will spit it out. And then you can start um, building this business plan. One thing that uh, is important based on all my observation is you should have two files. One file is like more like a document in which you write down the summary, the expectations, everything that we discussed. And another spreadsheet, which is going to be more focused on numbers, unit economics, the financial projections, cash flow. And I know it sounds like very, you know, boring and tedious, but if you're, if you're unable to prepare this stuff, you probably are not going to be able to like prepare this stuff in real life while you're in business. So if mm. this stuff like kind of discourages, discourages you, so it's a, it's a good signal that you're not ready to build a business yet. Mm. Mm. How do you know that you're ready to build a business? You don't. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> you don't. Do you have advice for getting started? Just, just do something and fail and do it again. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer in velocity, of moving mm -hmm. fast because it gives you motivation to see. I mean, at least for me, it gives me motivation when I see things happening. 
So I try to move very fast and I don't care about, I'm not a perfectionist by nature, but I, I, I don't even care about spelling mistakes or design. I just want to move as fast as possible and get signals and data. So I think velocity is very important. I also think that you shouldn't invent the wheel. I mean, we just started out copying the complete funnels of competitors. We mm. took their ad, we took the funnel, we took the copy, we downloaded the images, which is probably illegal, <laughs> and we just slapped it in our own store and saw what happened and, and iterated based on this. If you just stay stuck and analyze, you, you won't progress because you're not gathering data based on your own context. So mm. moving mm. fast based on your own context is very important. Yeah. I th I like what you, says, what you just said about uh, like that you don't care about spelling mistakes and stuff because I'm I'm similar to I I never cared for grammar because I always thought that it's just as long as you know what I mean it doesn't matter if it's in, in the right format in the right wording and so on and especially now with um, artificial intelligence and ChatGPT I think um, this is changing because in when I went to school like these things were very important and you had um, to learn how to write an essay and stuff like this. And I'm so jealous about the students that go to school now because they can just put their homework into ChatGPT and all these, to me, unnecessary homeworks that you had to do of writing an essay. Um, well, it, the creative part is still there, right? It's, you mm -hmm. still have to think about um, writing and you have still have to come up with these ideas but you don't have to learn these skills of um, writing them in a certain language or something like this so how do you think um, artificial intelligence is how is, is going to change how we um, work together how we learn together it's very hard to predict because it's moving so fast um, mm. I mean, one year ago, uh, probably when ChatGPT was introduced, I wasn't able to imagine that we will have automated agents that can uh, brainstorm and write code locally on your PC. So it's very hard to predict. But I do believe that this um, trajectory of technology being easier to produce is going to keep on... We are going to keep on seeing how it's going to be very easy to create stuff and mm. how it's going to be even more important to be good at execution. So back in the day, they said, okay, an idea doesn't matter shit because you need to execute. And I believe this yeah, because ideas, everybody can come up with an idea. It's very easy, but at the end of the day, it's the execution. So today, even the execution from a technical perspective is very easy. So it's mostly about building the audience, giving them what they want, over-delivering. So heavy emphasis on, on over-delivery and execution, even more than before. So this is what I believe will happen. Yeah. Do you think more, I think especially in the Western world, it's a very service-based economy. Do you think uh, that's fine? Because at times I think that's not sustainable. Um, Do you think in the next years we we will continue this trend of service-based businesses, especially digital, um, or do you think um, there will be more more 
production-based businesses in the future? I don't really know, but I don't necessarily think that this will make much changes in the way people consume services. Because, for example, people still pay other people to buy, to build their website for them. Although this is already solved, you know, you can go to Wix, you can go to mm -hmm. Google website, you can go to Shopify, you can go to Squarespace. Uh, and it doesn't take a genius to build a website today, but still people are paying other people to create a website for them. Same goes with, I don't know, proofreading, copywriting. Everything is pretty simple from a technical perspective already. And still mm -hmm. people specialize in stuff and people are willing to pay specialists for their work. So also in this case, I still believe that people will pay, let's say a copywriter that uses ChatGPT as an accessory, you know, like we, like some copywriters use Word, you know, instead of Notepad. So this is just a technology that helps you become a better copywriter. So this is how I see things playing out. People will be like more specialized, but this won't, it might change the market and how fast people produce stuff, but I don't think it will completely remove most of the professions. Mm -hmm. Now we have, uh, we have talked about it already a little bit. Um, so I live in Montenegro, you live in Georgia, and uh, here we are uh, talking to each other. Do you think um, business, uh, running a business is going to be something that you do on an international level? Because uh, that's, at least for me, always um, seemed so logical, the next step to just uh, do business with everybody. But Uh, we also have talked about it. It's still uh, challenging to get around these local um, roadblocks that you have. So do you think it's a trend that's will con that will continue that we, uh, I live there, you live there, and we have a business there and uh, it all works together? Globalization, I guess, it's uh, is a term. Um, I don't really know. I mean, I hope to see, I wouldn't say... I mean, favor of globalization, but this is already a, a political <laughs> discussion. <laughs> but uh, I do see more digital nomads that are using like the five flags theory and trying to diversify mm -hmm. where they live and how they pay taxes and how they do banking. But again, I'm a digital nomad, so I have this bias of thinking that everybody else is doing this, while probably most of the people stay still live in their country in which they were born. Um, I would... I also have this thought that maybe things will go the other way around and become even more localized because mm. um, it's easier to trust someone that you see face to face. Face to face communication is going to be like more unique and stand out in opposing to like speaking with someone else in the other end of the world via Zoom. This is going to be like the norm and it's not going to be exciting or creating as good as a relationship as face-to-face. -face. So we might see the other trend. I, I don't really know, um, but probably both, you know, balance between. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get around the language barrier? What language do they t speak in Georgia? In Georgia, they, uh, they speak their local language, Kartuli, uh, or some people call it mm -hmm. Georgian. Uh, but most service providers, they speak English. Yeah, yeah. 
but I, I had the issue here in Montenegro that I speak Serbian here and that's really mm-hmm. a tougher language especially with this bureaucracy like not everybody speaks English and um, it's really tough sometimes and just from this is also something that uh, why I think uh, digital nomad lifestyle doesn't work in the long term because um, if you spend time in different countries you're not able to learn every lang- language of every country that you're going to stay in so um, yeah, I've, I'm wondering what your experience has been like traveling around how did you um, but how, how did from a business perspective how hard was it in the end for you to do stuff I, I don't think it was, it was, I don't consider it as if it was challenging because most of the time you have people that speak English that you mm-hmm. can pay and get their services. So for example, we wanted help here in opening a bank account or tax residency. So we just paid the service provider to do all the paperwork for us. And same in, in Thailand, we just paid someone to open like to sort of visa and open the bank account. So because this is a, I wouldn't say it's a capitalistic war, but due to capitalism, whenever there is a challenge, someone is going to provide a service that can solve the challenge. So I didn't feel a lot of challenges with regards to barriers of, of language. Obviously, if I would have known the language, it probably would have been more fun, you know, just communicating with people um, in the street and finding new friends which are not expats. So this is definitely some sort of a downside. But it isn't so significant, in my opinion, at least for me. Well, I assume that uh, the reason you became a digital nomad is that you were in some way dissatisfied about Israel or just um, the, the way you were able to run your business. Um, and I think, it's, um, as we talked about it earlier, in the Western world, we, we have more restrictions for businesses. We have more... A bureaucracy that makes it really hard to run a business. Um, do you think businesses have to be more political and more outspoken to maybe push back on on those uh, regulations that are coming, or do you think it's we, businesses shouldn't talk about it because there is a lot of risk and a lot of um, there is a possibility of stepping on other people's toes if you do that. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting question. I think at the end of the day, all I, one can argue that all the restrictions and regulations by the government um, are put into place based on moves and actions that other businesses tried in order to exploit the system. So these regulations, one can argue these are regulations that make sense in order to avoid or exploitation of the system. But on the other hand, uh, is it becoming too radical? I don't know. Um, we will see. We discussed this before mm-hmm. that Eastern Europe there are, has become there were a lot of restrictions on civilians back in the days. Yes. And then they self-corrected now to being more, you know, free. Uh, I don't know. I never lived there long term, but it seems more free, less restrictions. Probably in a, a few years. I don't know how long it will take. People will exploit shit out of these countries and then these countries will have no choice but put new restrictions 
uh, on taxes, stuff like this. So I think it's a cycle. I don't really mm. know, but this is my observation. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, is there anything we haven't covered so far? Anything you want to talk about? Um, it was very, a uh, very interesting conversation. Stuff that I don't usually talk about. Uh, I mean, my views about, I wouldn't say liberalism or political views. Um, at the end of the day, what I try to do, um, except for learning about macro level economics, I try to focus on my own well-being and things that are within my control. Um, mm. So I think it makes sense to find a good place in which you love to live and you don't feel restricted by the bureaucracy or the government. But at the end of the day, it's mostly about what we make out of life. And after skipping five years in countless countries, I realized that the background or the country in which you live in doesn't make much of a difference. You get used to it very fast. So yes. it's better to work on yourself and try to improve your mindset by by eating healthy, doing stuff that you love, um, building a business that you enjoy, working with people that you like, going to the gym, stuff like this. And don't let, I mean, based on my observation, I try not to let what happens in the external world affect me yeah. so much. So I think this is like the most important takeaway from my perspective. Do you have some advice on how to balance business and uh, private life? Because building a business is more stressful than just an, a normal nine to five job. That's it's also more exciting, but it's a lot more to handle. So from your experience, do you have some advice, especially for someone that's starting in this and maybe feels this stress now? Um, I don't. I don't think we should optimize for balance. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's uh, easier to optimize for excitement and th this because this is more tangible. Um, balance is pretty vague. So I try to optimize for and doing things that excite me and also understanding that stress is part of the game. Stress is, mm -hmm. is the price that you pay in order to build something that you love. Um, and is there no way you can build something great without stress. So this is something that I just realized this is a fee that I need to pay. So mm -hmm. I try to embrace it. Uh, if it's too much stress, I just try to decrease the stress. But I realize that if I'm unable to withstand the, the stress, so I probably won't be able to build the thing that is going to take me out of the game of yeah. uh, financial uh, freedom. So. To summarize, I think it's better to optimize for excitement, not for balance, because balance is very, very vague and abstract. And realizing that once you realize that stress is part of the game, I think it's a bit easier to handle it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was such an interesting conversation. We jumped between a different topic. I thought it was really interesting. I hope you enjoyed it as well and you might come back one day. Sure, I loved our conversation and I thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye bye, take care.